صباح الخير جود مورنينج دي ليسنرز يو ليسنينج تو راديو 3 سي ار اون 855 اي ام اند باليستاين ريمبرد وذ روبرت مارتن ناصر مشني اند يوسف احمد الريماوي Palestine Remembered is Australia's only English language radio program that is totally dedicated to Palestine. We'd like to welcome those listening on 855 and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Bringing you the news and views and the untold side of the Palestinian struggle for freedom from a Palestinian perspective. Good morning, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Palestine Remembered. This morning, we are joined by a superstar Palestinian, diaspora Palestinian, grew up in Germany, uh, Lexi Alexander. Good morning, Lexi. Hello, how are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you so very much for, for joining us from LA, Hollywood. Thank you. Yes, I'm actually, I can see the sign from my house. Not sure that means anything, but I am right here. I was speaking to an American lawyer recently and we spoke about some stuff and he was amazed how much I knew about America, whether it was the Constitution, the states, you know, electoral college, etc. You must be an American file, you know, how you know so much about America. I said, listen, we're in Australia. All we do is watch American TV. We might not be geographically connected, but Australia, for all intents purposes, if you're just watching the mainstream, is America. Yeah, but what you just said is interesting because if you think about how Palestinians or Arabs are represented in American TV and movies, then what you just said is really bad for us. <laughs> you no, know, no question, and it feeds into the whole narrative, the whole Orientalism that Edward Said talked about. But for over a hundred years, how uh, Hollywood has created a stereotype of the Arab as a swarthy, misogynistic, rich Arab. There's the Sneaky Arab, the hook nose Arab, you know, whether it's in Aladdin or whatever it might be. And yeah. all the culture and everything we gave to the West is just wiped away. Yeah, I mean, for the longest time it was on, I mean, it still is on purpose and political, but there was actually a much more sophisticated campaign than I realized. And I only learned that from Dr. Jack Shaheen, the documentary in the book Real Bad Era. And once I read all of that, and by the way, I mean, he's a very admirable man because he's you know he was Lebanese Christian you know it's not just as you know an everyday thing for Lebanese Christians to come out and be the defender of all Muslims but he first spoke about representation of Arabs on screen and then after 9-11 immediately switched and said I'm just going to talk about Muslims you know because he saw what was happening not that it didn't hit you know Arab Christians as well as here in America at least but he knew what was going on. But that's how I learned how sophisticated it actually was. I didn't realize this was such a intent and uh, on-purpose campaign. I just thought it was kind of like normal, casual racism, you know. I didn't know it was an actual plan. We'll put a link to that in the podcast, Real Bad Arabs, I must say. Alex, tell us about your Palestine journey. My Palestine journey, well, I guess I would, I would have to start with my dad's Palestine journey. My dad, Halil Meray, um, is born in Jerusalem, grew up in Ramallah. I hope I remember this all, uh, all correctly. Um, he doesn't really like to talk much about it. His dad, so his dad died around 48 and then he was in the one and he was in an Israeli prison. One of the things I remember clearly is 
my mom sometimes excusing his temper or behavior. I mean, my, my dad wasn't a bad guy, but there was certainly like, you know, post-traumatic stress syndrome. It's not easy a, to lose your country, to lose your house, to be in an Israeli prison. But what she pointed out to me at one point, which I will never forget in my life, because I was very angry at something my father said or was done. I must have been like 10, 11. And she said, have you ever wondered where your father has the scars on his legs? And so, and I saw them, but I never asked. And um, she explained to me that, um, it's a, it's, I barely get through this without crying, but she explained to me that in prison in Israel, they electrocuted him on the legs. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it, you tell this to a 10, 11 year old kid and it shifts something in you, you know, because you, you don't understand, you know, you don't understand, you know, why would any human do this to somebody else? And there's a level to this uh, being in Germany on top of it, you know, where there's a lot of talk about your parents, grandparents have done a lot of bad things. And my mother is German. And there was definitely like, I mean, her, her dad fought in Russia for the Nazis. So there's a lot of bad history on that side, right? And to find out, to grow up in this environment where in school you're being told that your grandparents did very bad things, you know, but then you, you, your dad, you know, you find out that this horrible thing happened to him. The way I was told it happened, my grandfather did to the Jews. And it's really kind of, a mind spin at that age, right? And especially because it is so warped. My grandfather, the Nazi, did not want to meet me until I was seven. And he was so old that I think he didn't even realize he was meeting me, but because I was, the, my mother married a Palestinian and, you know, he, he I guess, didn't agree with that. And, um, for me, that was always the bad guys, right? And then I found out that my father also suffered from the bad guys. But then years later, you're trying to speak up for that and somehow you're getting accused of anti-Semitism, you know, because you're trying to speak up for the people who are still suffering exactly what my father suffered. So it's, I think there's something special about growing up in Germany and having this dynamic in your family and the good guys acting like bad guys and the bad guys acting like good guys and people are trying to tell you oh no this is your people you, you know your dad's people are the, are the bad and that never made sense to me palestinians have never done anything to anybody other than made a huge mistake and being welcoming to everybody there's a very famous old video i think on the british pathway channel that I found once where you see the first, I think it was uh, Otto von Bismarck, uh, the German emperor, and then the British arriving. It was basically said to be the first Westerners arriving in, in Palestine. And, you know, the Palestinians were dancing and bringing food and welcoming. And I looked at that and I thought, yeah, you know, we, we're always proud of how welcoming we are, but maybe that was the mistake, you know? <laughs> Maybe that was the mistake. We can't let these Western imperialism destroy the very beauty of our culture, which is that our house is open and that we assume that you, your heart is as pure as ours is. Um, sadly, and the reality is, you know, these Western imperialists, these invaders came with dirty hearts and dirty souls and stole Palestine from us. Yeah. So let's see, you, you were born in Germany, grew up in Germany. 
have you ever been to Palestine? Yeah. Yeah, I actually have it on my Instagram. I mean, first of all, I spent a lot of my childhood in uh, Amman, Jordan, Suela, to be exact, because my parents ended up getting divorced. My father remarried and I have two younger. I have actually siblings on every side you can imagine. So I have full Arab siblings, I have full Germans. It's a whole mishmash. But I always enjoyed visiting my dad in uh, Amman. And I like my my half-siblings, you know. I mean, there's basically only half-siblings, but I feel like they're all my, my full siblings. Uh, as you can imagine also, that was an interesting culture clash, you know. Mm-hmm. There's a funny thing that happened to me that I told somebody the other day, and they didn't, it's an American friend of mine, and they couldn't quite understand what I was saying. And I, I want to tell you because I want to know if a Palestinian understands this. I, I heard from early on that my father really wanted a boy, right? As most Arab lads probably do. And he had already his name, Abu, I, I, I think it was Abu Sama, he had chosen, and here comes me, right? And so that was told by my mother. But then my father, when speaking Arabic to me, always talked to me with masculine articles and in a masculine, like I remember him always calling me Yasalame, like, you know, and I knew that that was, hey man, I knew that what it meant. And I thought, why is my dad always speaking to me uh, like I'm a boy? And he, he must really kind of wanted the boys so badly that now he's treating me like a boy. And I was so confused by this until I went to Jordan and realized all parents are doing this with their kids. When they, there's a, it's a term of endearment to, to switch genders in talking to your child, right? Do you understand what I'm talking about? Yeah, I understand what you're saying. I, I look, I've got two sons and a daughter. Um, right. And you so sometimes call your daughter. What does she call you? How does she? Baba. Baba. Yaba. Yeah, so you don't do that with your kids? No. This is a big thing. I found this out later. This is a big thing among Palestinians only. No other Arab-like group does this. This is only us guys. And, and ask around if somebody else knows about this, because I later found out, sitting in a swimming pool in Amman, I remember this precisely, that, oh, there's a lot of dads and moms who switch gender when they're talking to their kid, and it's a term of endearment. And later I found out this is super common, but only among us. And I thought, you know, I felt so, like, relieved that it wasn't just who was making up. Lovely. So you would holiday a lot, I suppose, a bit more than holiday, perhaps school holidays in in Amman and then back to Germany. Yeah, yeah, it was always very interesting. And there's another really interesting aspect about growing up in Germany first. Um, I learned German and Arabic at the same time, but then because my dad was traveling a lot, the German kind of took over because you're sitting there in Germany, right? And then it always, I had to refresh basically when I was back in Jordan. And at some point, I remember us going to the Dead Sea and a lot of my dad's uh, brothers and cousins came. It was like a, the big like reunion at the Dead Sea. And um, his brothers and cousins were appalled by my Arabic, not because it was bad, but because I sounded like an Israeli. And, you know, and that's a nobody thinks of this, but the German accent and you think about this from a colonization point of view, yeah. right? Of course, somebody who has a dialect that is more German, who then speaks Arabic, will always sound like an Israeli. And that became, it was a very interesting thing because I think I, that was really the point I stopped um, speaking 
Arabic out loud. Like I still do it. I mean, I say a lot of things that I have a very childish Arabic, but I can get by, you know, like I, I went to actually, I went to Al-Khalil um, a couple of years back and spent a long time there and just with some distant family member and mm. got into the culture and slowly, slowly, you know, I explained to them why I'm embarrassed about it. And they were like, ah, oh, don't worry about it. It's okay. Okay. And then suddenly we were at the checkpoint and they were like, don't speak Arabic. <laughs> <laughs> they were afraid that, you know, the other people around us, our people, the Palestinians would assume that I'm uh, Israeli. That, of that unit that I forgot, you know, that unit. Yeah, 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 yeah. undercover ones, yeah. And never gets away with it. Yeah, yeah. It wouldn't be, those undercover agents speak perfect dialect Arabic to, to the region. I mean, they, they train them to such a degree as to beg a belief. And sadly, so many of them are, you know, actually Palestinians. They're not Jews, they're, they are um, Druze and Bedouins and they're actually Palestinians that have, you know, fifth columns yeah. t- turned on their own people. Lexi, so from Germany, a man, Germany, a man, you're, you're now in LA and you produce TV shows and you're a filmmaker. You're in that artistic space. Tell us about that. You know, I am in it, um, but unfortunately, um, you know, I'm, I'm barely hanging on like pretty much all of us who, who make it. And I think there's maybe, um, I think there's like four Palestinians really working like frequently. And it's, it's difficult because I think we all would like to do something for our people, but that's, you know, we, we can only take the little bird drops they're giving us, you know, slowly, slowly, like for example, I managed to get these beautiful thopes, you know, with all the Palestinian uh, stitching into my last movie. But it was, I felt so happy that I managed to do that, you know, but that's, and then later I thought, my God, you know, I'm happy about this. This is like nothing, but it was a milestone for me. And then, you know, I don't know if you've heard about the show Mo. Um, and I, I see him get criticized. Or I see his show get criticized from fellow um, Muslims, Arabs, whatever, that it's being westernized or, or something. And I feel a little sad about that because people have to understand for any of us to make it, to even get to work, you know, is huge. For somebody to work and not play a terrorist is even bigger. You know, I mean, there's almost and I speak to Arab actors all the time and tell them, why are you still playing a terrorist? And, you know, they say I can't pay the rent, basically, you know, and um, because there's not that many parts for us. And so the fact that, you know, it, it happened for him, this is a good thing. More of us need to be coming in and hopefully we can we can make a difference and the next generation makes a bigger difference. I think what I sometimes don't like about our community, I tell you to be honest, and I really mean the Palestinians now, is obviously culturally we're all supposed to be doctors and lawyers. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, my, my dad wanted the same thing. I mean, he still refers to when people ask him what you do, ah, she's playing in Hollywood still. Like, I'm playing. I'm. I was nominated for an Oscar. Why? Why are you still calling it playing? <laughs> you know. Um, but that's just them, and that's. I take it with humor. We all deal with it. But for the community to not understand how much entertainment gets into people's mind around the world, this is the biggest tool any propaganda, whether it's American or Israeli or British, has the biggest tool. Okay, and they are you know, basically running it. Now, the good thing for us is that 
among the crowd that runs it, this involves American Christian, it involves, this is not like the Jews are running it, because that's actually not true. And the Jews who are running it are actually very left, to be honest. Mm-hmm. This is not a thing where like, oh, they, that doesn't exist. As a matter of fact, I think if you want to know who radicalized me to speak that out, outspoken about Palestine, leftist Jews, you know, they said to me, how are you not speaking out about Palestine as Palestine in Hollywood? So this was my journey. So nobody can ever tell me, you know, that this doesn't exist. It does, you know, but it's still that the strings are still more pulled by the politicians, by, you know, the Pentagon looks at every script that has war in it, right? So this is a very political industry. And for years, you know, the message has basically been, uh, you know, they're not humans, you can kill them. That's why people can watch for a whole week, children in Gaza die and not feel sorry for us because Hollywood has established that. And I wish our community would recognize this. And I feel sometimes among activists, Palestinian activists, it's almost like, she does that Hollywood thing, like, you know, that's not like, no, I'm actually doing something important. The fact that I don't have the power yet to do it as much as I want to doesn't mean that it's not important. If one of us doesn't break in or a few of us don't break in and then bring in another generation and then bring in another generation, that's how you do it. We have to, we can't just let go of this industry that tells every story in the world. I wish parents would encourage their kids to become filmmakers, to become actors. I know it's the doctor thing always. I think it's a very honorable job to tell stories. And I think it's super important. And there's no question it's super important. As a Palestinian, stripped of your land, stripped of your wealth, stripped of your connection, the only thing they couldn't take from you what was in your brain. And yeah. so education became so very important because that was your passport. Wherever you ended up with your education, you could reestablish yourself. I think increasingly, and I'm with you with respect to those absolute Palestinians that say Muhammad is. And if you haven't seen the show, listeners, make sure you go to Netflix. The show's called Mo. He's a fantastic Palestinian-American comedian. The show, there's eight half-hour episodes. You won't stop watching it. And I think what I I, I think we have to tell people is that they may think, oh, well, that's not very Palestinian. Well, the diaspora Palestinians have different lives. And apparently a lot of people from Houston, Texas, to whom I cannot relate to either, to be honest. Texas (laughs) is very different than LA. But a lot of them said, uh, hey, this is like super true. He's living like the Houston immigrant like life. So we have to give him credit that he's telling his truth. I'm an Australian Palestinian. Yeah, I grew up here. No connection to, to Mo, no connection to Houston and Texas. And there's so many parallels between my experience growing up and his. Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah. So he's telling a story that those Palestinians that say, you know, he's, you know, he's sold out and he's not being strong enough. The fact that he's there, he's humanizing Palestinians. Yeah. He, he's laughing at himself, but he's also laughing at the circumstance. He's creating a narrative that allows, uh, I, and I've shared the link to all of my white friends and said, listen, watch this. And I actually saw a bloke yesterday. He said, I watched it through. He said, it was so funny. Thanks so much for sending me uh, the link. So many of the stories you t- you've told me over the decade that I've known you, I can see the context now. Right. I mean, it's such a wonderful tool in the education and rehumanization, the rehumanization right. of Palestinians. And that's what we really need to do. And, you know, I'm trying to get it into people's head that, 
you know, look, it's all great. You have a doctor in the family, but a, not everybody can be a doctor, you know, be some of them might change the world, but only very few, but what Mo does, you know, and, you know, he, I am in the business. I just haven't been able to, you know, there's a certain power you have to have to get to say, I'm just going to do a Palestinian movie. Now I'm going to do mm. all about Palestinian characters. I try to squeeze it in there and I have managed to squeeze it in here, but not like him. And it's exactly what you said. That changes a lot of people's mind. I mean, it's probably kind of like what the Cosby show did, you know, like yeah. it, there was a whole period of black people only being thugs and not being thing. And while that in real life turned out differently, but I still remember, you know, yeah. watching that show in Germany, it was worldwide. It was a huge hit and yeah. he was with his wife and kids and they were funny. And that sounds horrible now because why do we have to humanize people even, but you know, when you come from a dehumanized people, um, like we are, and I think we're almost at the worst state because every time bombs are dropping on Gaza, I cannot believe that it doesn't move people more. I cannot believe it. And this is only possible because we are not humans to them. And that's what we need to change. And I, I got to be honest with you, I'm not saying it because I'm in it, but I'm saying it because I really believe this. Entertainment, also what you do, entertainment and journalism is the way we get into people's mind and oftentimes people are too lazy to read serious journalism so actually something like you know or, or a beautiful fable or something you know i actually remember watching the idol on netflix do you remember the yeah, idol? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and i told all my friends to watch this movie i said it's not about the conflict even though it was right at times right but I wanted them to see that we make music, we have dreams, we sing, but yeah. all of our dreams, especially for Palestinians in Palestine, it's not as simple as standing in line at American Idol, you know, it's mm -hmm. he has to jump checkpoints and get fake papers and be almost caught and have a friend be a traitor, like it comes with so much tragedy. You know, and a lot of people wrote me back. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for telling me to watch that movie. It's it's changed so much of my mind, you know, because they don't get that behind the checkpoints, behind the wall. People have dreams. They're human, you know. They don't get it. And it's because remember the narrative when Russia first invaded Ukraine and, you know, the BBC was running tutorials on how to make a Molotov cocktail. But the reportage, these are civilized people. They look like us. And there was one reporter that said, they're, they're civilized. They've got Netflix accounts, as if this is the definer of Western care. You know, the reality, blonde hair, blue eyed. Well, we have to care about them. White people suffering. This is outrageous. Immediately, Australia created a, a special Ukrainian refugee intake program. In the United Kingdom, they, have a, they had an app. You could download Help a Ukrainian app so you could... I've got a room available. I can take a, a person, you know, we've got a, I'm a, we're a retired couple with three spare bedrooms. We could take a small family. You know, suddenly they were supporting each other. Oh my God, you know, we've got to help these Ukrainians. But don't worry about Palestinians in the first instance. Australia was involved in Afghanistan and created the disaster and the debacle that is existing there today with the Taliban back. We've done nothing. I know, and I love the cartoons that came out of it where people are, you know, have uh, drawn one person throwing a Molotov cocktail hero and next to it, a Palestinian terrorist, you know, mm -hmm. and they're literally doing the same thing. And 
you know, and it wasn't just one newscaster. I mean, I'm sure you've seen yeah. them all because I think it was like 20 of them in the first, all of them saying they look like us. They, you know, this is so strange that we have to help them. And and then they came, all the stuff that came out where they really didn't let, you know, black students that were in the Ukraine at the time on the bus. And, you know, there, there's a lot of, I believe, Syrian and uh, uh, people from Yemen, you know, and they were all pushed away and out. And there was a lot of racism on display and it was all forgiven. And, you know, I think this is where we come to a very good point, which is this is all based on white supremacy. Absolutely. Yeah. All based on white supremacy. Yeah. We were having a giggle before we started recording, Lexi, about how colonized peoples come together at critical moments. The passing of somebody's queen, certainly not mine. The intersectional connectivity between, you know, Palestinians and Irish and indigenous peoples yeah. all over the world on Twitter. Uh, I mean, it's a great solidarity, but I think we kind of have to talk a little bit about uh, the Irish and also like I've been, um, you know, I'm not sure if you know this, I made a fame, like a movie about football fans uh, yeah. and by football, I mean soccer. Yeah. Um, you, do you guys say football or soccer? We, we say soccer. Oh, uh, um, um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> that's okay. It's forgiven. But anyway, um, I went, I've always been a big fan of the Celtic. And, you know, when you see the flags and stuff, and now we're talking about, it's not all of Scotland, but it's definitely the Celtic fans, but it's almost all of Ireland. And it blows my mind, if you really think about it, that the Irish are really the only white people who you know, do not, they don't uh, relate to other white people who colonize, you know, mm -hmm. they relate to all the people who have their land stolen. And I admire it very much. Uh, there's a really great spirit in them that they can say, we would much rather be with Palestinians than be with the English, you know, uh, mm -hmm. because that's not usual when it comes to white people. <laughs> No, no, you're 100% right. I was in Scotland only a few weeks ago. Oh, and, really? Um, yeah, yeah. Celtic had um, made the qualified for, uh, I can't remember, the European Cup or something, and the, the joy amongst these guys. Anyway, and I saw them and, uh, you know, asked them what, because I don't really follow uh, football, proper football very closely. Um, and he said, oh, you know, we're, we're Celtic fans and we've just qualified and, you know, this is going to mean like 50 million euros to our club. And so our club security is, I said, Celtic, I'm Palestinian. And I swear to you, the hug, I mean, there was about a dozen of these guys. They would have been 18 to 25. I mean, I, I was like a small child being thrown around, yeah. you know, having met his estranged family. He's Palestinian, FIFA Palestina. I mean, yeah, I know it's so. Look, I'm, I literally start crying when you talk to this because I think I find it so touching because I think there's such a letdown by so many white people who should know better. You know, having grown up in a German school where you taught over and over again the sins of your grandfathers and, you know, how that never can happen again. And it's really kind of put into your head. And the message they took from that is so we're never doing it to Jewish people again. Well, that kind of change. They are doing it to Jewish people, but only leftist Jewish people. Jewish people who stand up for Palestinian rights get blacklisted and lose their jobs in Germany. So the lesson they've taken from this, where they're supposed to learn not to be monsters anymore, is 
we don't let anybody bully Israel, no matter how ethno states are, no matter what they do. Like, I mean, the, the psychology of this is so uh, unbelievable and they don't see it. They don't see it. You know, there's now a right-wing party in Germany, a, a very right-wing party. And many of them converge to Judaism and then join the IDF. These are Germans we're talking about. This is a big thing, you know? And one of them was a politician and his whole poster for his campaign was um, uh, how he is a Jew in, in the IDF. And uh, it, it's wild how, again, there's this twisted twisted idea of, you know, what they, what the lesson was and what they didn't learn. And then seeing the Celtic and the Irish be so different. I, sometimes they are my last hope in the, in the white people, <laughs> to be honest, because, you know, if we if it were not for them, who could we look at and say, you know what, we can rely on them. Like, not really. I mean, there's a lot of people that are allies, but as a whole, like where you find most of them. And that's, only because they have been through the same exact thing that Palestinians went through, you know? There's no question at all, Alexia. Um, thank you so very much for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure to speak oh, to you. Thank you for having me. No, no, a pleasure. Um, Lexia Alexander, filmmaker, Palestinian, so she's necessarily an activist. We spoke about that earlier on. She's done movie shows. Called, uh, Ajnabi when I'm home. Ajnabi, when she's home. Ajnabi, a foreigner when she's home. <laughs> She's a movie maker, TV shows. Lexi Alexander, thanks so very much for joining us today. Well, thank you. I'm going to tweet your podcast to my friends now. Fantastic. Listeners, thanks for tuning in. Be sure to share the podcast, tell your friends, and remember, there's never been a better time for a free Palestine.